0: previously on The Züring System. Since 1990, Yen Züring has been imprisoned in America and has done everything in his power to get out. Every year, he petitions the Virginia Parole Board for release, and he works to draw attention to his case. He needs the support of a team for what he refers to as his struggle for freedom. And a growing number of people in Germany and the U.S. want to help him. They spend a great deal of time working on this project without pay. However, a closer look at the facts reveals that many of his claims of innocence are unsupported. The Züring System. A podcast series from CCC Cinema and Television and Argonne Lab 2022. Please note, this podcast contains graphic descriptions of physical and sexual violence that are not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 6 of 8, A Struggle for Freedom at All Costs. This episode takes a look at the tools that Zuring uses in his so called struggle for freedom. And while he receives a great deal of encouragement from celebrities and journalists, over time, individual critics begin to voice concerns. Annabelle, one of Zuring's supporters, also starts to have her doubts. Initially, just about his tactics later about his story. Doubt.
1: I think one of the main things for me personally is I need to right some wrongs, mistakes that I've made. And I'm also keen to set the record straight because the public perception or the way that the public view this case and also the persona Jens Zering needs correcting because it's very skewed based on the reporting that's been happening.
0: Annabelle is the first person from the so-called Circle of Friends to speak openly about how things worked in Züring's network. As a former member of Züring's inner circle, this took a great deal of courage on her part. Today, she looks back on much of what she saw from Züring and his supporters from a more critical perspective. And she feels guilty about helping to make the Züring system work. The FBI Profile For Annabelle, doubt first starts to creep in back in 2018. She has been a member of Zuring's team for around a year at this point. She hears about an FBI psychological profile that will supposedly exonerate Zuring. An FBI profile is a detailed criminal profile that must be expressly requested from the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. In order to create a profile, FBI agents carry out a detailed analysis of the crime scene and extensively question witnesses. The FBI's profilers then generate a report with their assessment of the most likely characteristics of the possible offender. Supposedly, FBI agent Ed Sulzbach generates this kind of profile for the Haysum case. Based on the evidence at the crime scene, he allegedly points to Elizabeth Haysum as the murderer.
1: And then all of a sudden, the news broke that, yes, we have retrieved the FBI profile. I couldn't believe it uh, because I thought, this is a really big thing we can now prove that, what Ed Solzbach said in the documentary is actually true, and we can show that Elizabeth Hassam was the suspect all along. It was like fireworks. And then the document arrived in my inbox, <laughs> and I opened it, and it was the biggest disappointment ever because looking at this, first of all, there is no such thing as an FBI profile. It was um, a few pages of documents. And the suspect that was named in this was not Elizabeth Hasem. And so I was really distraught because I thought this is completely worthless.
0: Marcus Vetter and Karin Steinberger's 2016 documentary Killing for Love includes a recorded interview with Ed Zulsbach. In it, Zulsbach says, I settled on the daughter. However, when we take a closer look at the so-called FBI profile, It is unclear how he reached this conclusion. Retired police officer Ricky Gardner.
2: He was a fine man, but this is 40 years later, and they go in, and I don't know how they produced it, but I can tell you right now, that documentary was pro-soaring all the way. I don't know how they worded it, but they got him to say that he had settled on Elizabeth Hayson.
0: Former Scotland Yard detective Terry Wright also feels certain that the alleged FBI profile is worthless. He says that while FBI field agent Ed Sulzbach is, in fact, at the scene of the murders in Lynchburg, Virginia, and takes notes there, he never generates a comprehensive psychological profile of the murderer. What's happened, in my view,
3: see, there is is no doubt that Ed Sulzbach was spoken to by the investigators back in 1985. And he was asked to do a profile. And the paperwork that they've found since does confirm that they were asked to do a profile... But you can't just phone up the FBI, and I know this because I work there. You can't just phone up the FBI and say, "Can you do a profile, please?" And they say, "Yeah, we'll come and do it now." You have to submit an application.
0: Ricky Gardner confirms that this application is never submitted to the FBI.
2: Matter of fact, the original profiles that were given to the FBI are still in the case file. That it shows that it wasn't completed. That's one thing. Ed Salzbeck was the FBI agent, experienced field agent who came down and was collecting evidence about, to prepare and uh, to profile. He wasn't a profiler. He was a person that assisted the profilers and in collecting information. And his job was to collect the information and take it back to Quantico, okay? Now, about the same time, that he got involved in a case, this girlfriend's information popped up.
0: In his notes, Zulzbach writes about a female suspect who is close to the family, and he even mentions her by name. This individual is not Elizabeth Hasem, however, but rather Hasem's brother's ex-girlfriend. At this point, she has already been questioned by the Bedford police as a possible suspect.
2: The only other person That was a possible suspect was the girlfriend of one of the sons. They were boyfriend, girlfriend, possibly engaged to what I don't remember. But not long before the murders, uh, he ended that relationship. And so, you know, we learned that there was a possibility that the girlfriend was angry with the hasten son when, in fact, we learned through some of the friends of Mr. and Ms. Hasem that they really liked the girlfriend and that they were angry with their son because he had terminated the relationship because they really liked this girl.
0: According to Ricky Gardner, the suspect is questioned by the police. They take her footprints, and she is hooked up to a lie detector during questioning. However, she is quickly eliminated as a suspect due to a lack of of evidence.
1: There was a suspect. The prosecutor sent a letter to her lawyer asking for fingerprints and all this, and then she was excluded as a suspect based on the fingerprints and everything, and the investigation moved on. So it's got nothing to do at all with Elizabeth Hasem.
0: It's likely that the Hasems were murdered by someone they knew. There are no signs of forced entry or a robbery at the scene of the crime. Furthermore, according to Sulzbach, the fact that Nancy Haysom is wearing a house coat also indicates that the murderer must have been a close friend of the family. Terry Wright, however, finds Zulzbach's conclusion to be unfounded.
3: Whoever turned up that night, the Hazens weren't expecting them. Uh, so if Nancy Hasem was wearing that house coat or anything else is irrelevant, really, because it's a perfectly decent thing. It's like, it's like a dressing gown. It's a perfectly decent thing to come downstairs and speak to somebody, especially if, according to Zuring, Derek Hayesom answered the door and let him in. Okay, so now the two of them are in the house. Nancy is upstairs painting. And if she is called down, she's just going to come down. I don't understand really what this... Of no great significance, to be quite
0: honest. Zuring planned a big press conference as the result of the alleged FBI profile because he wants this, in his words, new finding to be included in his current petition for an absolute pardon. Annabelle is tasked with drawing up a digital media packet for the press conference. She seems to be the only person in the circle of friends who doubts that this recently released material from the FBI could in any way prove that Zuring was not the murderer.
1: But then all of a sudden a flurry of emails arrived in my inbox and everyone else on the team was really excited and it got to a point where I was doubting my own sanity and my own intelligence because I thought, I can't be the only one who understands that this is completely worthless. But everyone else was raving about it. And I think my mistake was that I didn't speak up. I had spoken up about an inconsistency before, and that was a completely dead end. And when you're part of this personality cult, you can't just go to someone else and say, but wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Despite her growing
0: doubts, at Züring's request, Annabelle creates a presentation about the case intended for the press entitled, The Züring Case Made Simple. Out of all the material about the Haysums murder, Zürich fills 93 pages with information that he has carefully selected and that is intended to clearly demonstrate that he is innocent. 14 pages are dedicated to the FBI document alone. However, only an excerpt of the document is included in the presentation. It says, Possible suspect is a white female. Then the page is simply cut off, The part of the page that is left out of the presentation indicates that the suspect described here is the ex-girlfriend of Elizabeth Hasem's brother.
1: And his response to me was, no, you need to cut it to make sure that people... We don't want people to see that Elizabeth wasn't the suspect. You need to cut it. So I had to prepare cutouts of it. And that was the moment where I realized, okay, he's understanding that it's worthless Based on that, I assume his lawyers understand it as well. So I'm not the stupid one here. It's just no one is saying it. And it was terrible because these are these are educated people. I'm an educated person. But none of us spoke up and said something.
0: Another fact steals even more thunder from the FBI document. Such psychological profiles are not admissible in court. The presentation entitled... The Züring case, made simple, even admits as much. American legal expert and author
4: Andrew Hemmel explains. And now we get to the final problem with this trivial distraction. That even if there were an FBI profile, FBI profiles are not admissible in any court of law. Because a psychological profile rests on guesswork and speculation and inferences and statistical chances, and sometimes just random intuition. I've read FBI psychological profiles. M- many people have. They're fascinating documents. They can be very helpful during an investigation. They're designed to help, you know, help investigators focus in the right direction. And they can be very helpful doing that. But when it comes to a trial, you must have direct specific evidence, not guesswork, not speculation, not statistical chances. And therefore, psychological profiles, even the very best one, is inadmissible in court. It cannot even be mentioned, just like a polygraph test. So even if it existed, it could never have had an influence on his trial.
0: Zuring and Journalists The question remains, is information being left out on purpose or manipulated at Zuring's insistence? Zuring employs a number of different methods to distort the truth. For example, he uses words like evidence and facts to suggest that the information and media packets he has compiled are based on scientifically backed analysis. In 2020, he has Annabelle create an info sheet called DNA Evidence in the Züring Case. His conclusion is that the DNA analysis carried out in 2009 proves that he could not have been present at the scene of the crime. To support his thesis, he sends the DNA analysis and the report created by the experts he hired to an independent German forensic scientist. She responds to him via email clearly telling him that his conclusions are incorrect and that she is not willing to advocate on his behalf. Nevertheless, he continues to include the folder of evidence in the media packs that he sends to journalists. According to Annabelle, however, simply providing journalists with certain information and leaving other information out is usually enough to convince the media to report on Zuring's case in a way that puts him in a positive light. She says that, for the most part, journalists and editors never question the information packets that she and Zuring put together.
1: Whenever he had interviews going on or was keen to reach out to the media, I was the one who had to prepare the media packs and all the information that would go into it would be select pieces from his library of approved information and anything that was might be slightly problematic, wasn't included. So he has never given any journalist all the documents. I'm not even sure the producers of the film have seen all the documents. And I think another issue is also, this is 30-year-old documents, they're all in English. I'm not sure how much time journalists and filmmakers actually have to go through it all.
0: In the eyes of author and lawyer Andrew Hemel, German journalists could be much more critical in their reporting on the case and stop treating Züring with kid gloves in their interviews and articles. Hamel goes as far as to accuse the German media of a tendency to see the eloquent son of a diplomat as one of their own. As a result, they are less likely to believe that Züring would be capable of committing this kind of violent crime.
4: You know, Jens Züring has the social background and the social graces and the manner and the demeanor of um, upper middle class educated German. And so when you have upper middle class educated German journalists who are used to a certain, you know, uh, certain preferences and habits and thoughts and, you know, the, the way they go about their lives and the way they speak, when they meet Jens Züring, they sense a fellow, you know, a fellow traveler, a fellow member of the class of, you know, he's a son of a diplomat. He's, you know, widely read. He's articulate in two languages. He has a little bit of self-effacing humor. I mean, and he can put a very convincing performance across. And so they, yeah. they think to themselves, this is a guy like us. This is an intelligent upper-middle-class, well-educated German guy who went to a gymnasium like I did. Well, you know, the American version of it. And so I think a lot of class solidarity leads to a certain amount of blindness. They accept what he says and they become his supporters because he seems so much like them. And eventually they begin to think to themselves, I would never have murdered two people. I'm, you know, that's not the kind of thing people are kind of people do. So I can't believe he did because he's so obviously our kind of people.
0: In an article that appears in the Swiss newspaper Neue Zürcher Zeitung on October 5th, 2021, journalist Thomas Ribby describes his impression of Züring during a video interview they had after Züring's release from prison.
5: Is this what a murderer looks like? Of course not. Or perhaps it is. Jens Züring waves to the camera on his computer, smoothing his hair. No, murderers look different. No one looks like a murderer, and certainly not Jens Züring. He looks more like an engineer, or perhaps a teacher, one that you would turn to for help as a student if you were having a problem.
0: Killing for Love Once someone starts looking into Züring's case, it's practically impossible to avoid the documentary Killing for Love. In late December 2019, shortly after Züring is released on parole, Karin Steinberger says on the German radio station Deutschlandfunk that she always strived for neutrality and transparency. Also, ich
5: weiß...
6: I don't know what happened that night. I wasn't there. The only people who know what happened are the ones who were there. I've always said that. However, over the years, after all the research I've done, what I can say is that all of the scientific evidence that has come out of this case, the new DNA evidence, it all corroborates what Jens Soring is saying. That he wasn't at the scene of the crime. He wasn't there that night. Like I said, I don't know what really happened. My approach as a journalist is always to remain neutral on this point, and I always have. I've always talked to both sides, and often the other side simply refused to speak to us. It's true that giving both sides a chance to tell their
0: side of the story is not easy, because their positions are so entrenched. People like Terry Wright and Andrew Hemmel, who criticize Zuring's version of events, believe that killing for love is one-sided, even though they interview a lot of contemporary witnesses who were involved in the case. Terry Wright even finds parts of the film where the original material is stitched together in a way that distorts the original meaning. He compares old recordings of the interrogation with passages from the film. Some of them are minor changes, but they are still significant.
3: So I went back and I actually found the place, you know, so I've got the transcript in front of me, and I've got the audio tape playing, and I can listen to it, and I know I did not ask what Nancy Hasen was wearing. I asked what they were both wearing.
0: The distortions that Terry Wright describes can also be seen at other points in the film. Right at the start of the film, when they're breaking down the case, the filmmakers overlay audio recordings of a voice actor reading translated passages from Elizabeth Hasem's letters with TV images of her extradition to the U.S. This gives the viewer the impression that these letters were written while Hasem was in detention, awaiting trial. They come across as admissions of guilt on her part. Among others, the following passages are quoted. My dearest Jens, The days go slowly. It is time to risk
2: all for the truth. You will not forgive me. Hate me, hit me, whatever, but please hug me when we meet. Promise me, Jens, whatever it takes now, promise me you will not let me ruin your life. I've seriously fucked up on mine. Don't let me destroy yours. This is the first real and good thing I have ever done. I would kill myself if I discovered you were compromising yourself for me. Don't do it. I love you, Elizabeth.
0: passages have nothing to do with her time in prison. They come from several different letters, all of which Hasem wrote to Zuring in the months before her parents were murdered. In the original letters, these passages are not sequential and are taken completely out of context here. In the quotes, Hasem is not discussing a potential murder, but rather her and Zuring's future careers. And her fear That she might not live up to Zuring's expectations. The film leaves out a sentence that draws a connection to their careers in college. Moreover, the German translation of the letters distorts the original meaning even further. In the original document, she uses the words, compromising yourself for me. In German, this is mistranslated to, putting yourself in danger for me. Other passages from her letters are also misinterpreted as well. And there are many examples throughout the film in which the suggestive use of translation, edits and dramaturgy serves to create a certain narrative.
3: Well, in my opinion, the whole of that movie was trying to present the story of an innocent man who had been locked up for over 30 years simply because he confessed to a crime that his girlfriend had committed. It was totally biased to present to the public that image. And in order to present that image, they'd manipulated the questions and answers. In my opinion, they'd they'd taken parts.
0: After watching the film, Andrew Hamill contacts Zuring's circle of friends to inform them that the film includes several mischaracterizations. According to Hamill, they never respond to his messages. He also writes to Karin Steinberger and Marcus Fetter, who eventually answers him.
4: You know, he said, I think we just have a difference of opinion here. The film did, we did interview Ricky Gardner for the film and other people who believe Zering is guilty. And he asked me, you know, do you believe, Andrew, deep down, absolutely that Zering is guilty and that there are no relevant questions in this case? And I just wrote him back and I said, yes, I I do believe Zering is guilty. It was proven with as much reliability as a human justice system can create. And so that's where the conversation ended. So it wasn't a bitter dispute, and he seems to be a decent fellow, but I think he just allowed himself to be blinded by the charm and magnetism of Yin Zering and his story's plausibility. The Right
0: Report Appears. A shift comes in October 2019, when Terry Wright sends his report to Virginia Governor Ralph Northam.
3: The case really has never gone out of the uh, the limelight over the last 30 years because Jan Sering himself has made sure it didn't. Um, so when I heard that he was actually submitting a, a petition to, uh, for a pardon, basically, um, I thought that it was best for the governor uh, in Virginia to have the correct information and not the lies that have been told over the last 30 years.
0: Indeed, Zuring himself has begun to play an ever-greater role in shaping the public's perception of him. He is able to make it so that many people see him not as a brutal double murderer, but rather as a man who has been wrongly imprisoned for decades. In the preface to his report, Wright makes it clear that he does not benefit in any way from its publication, He is not looking for publicity, nor would he receive any future job benefits, since, after all, he is already retired. Furthermore, he states that if it can be shown that his conclusions are incorrect, or if substantive new evidence were to be found that could clearly prove Zuring's innocence, he will have no problem admitting as much.
3: And if that was the case, I would have actually been head of the team. I've been trying to get him out. I would have been um, trying to get him set free. I don't mind if we had made a mistake, I I would say so.
0: Released, but not exonerated. Shortly thereafter, Governor Ralph Northam and the Virginia Parole Board make a final decision. Zuring's application for an absolute pardon is expressly rejected. Instead... He is to be released from prison on parole. This news goes around the world on November 25th, 2019. Swiss newspaper Neue Zürcher Zeitung and the German TV channel ZDF's news portal published the headline, German son of a diplomat to be released from prison. The German newspaper Tagesspiegel goes as far as to call it a belated happy ending. Aside from Terry Wright, there is only one other voice speaking out against the general feeling of elation at Züring's upcoming release and transfer to Germany. Author and American criminal law expert, Andrew Hamel. Hamel writes an op-ed for the German newspaper, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, in which he criticizes German journalists who have clearly believed, repeated, and disseminated Züring's version of the story without questioning it.
5: Paradoxical Combination of Cynicism and Naivety by Andrew Hamill Jens Zering, the German citizen who was found guilty of a double murder in the United States in 1990, will now be released to Germany. Many consider him to be wrongly convicted, but that's not the case. Certainly those who felt that Zering was wrongly convicted will see the decision as a triumph and a victory for justice, and it is, however, not for the reasons that his supporters believe, because without a doubt, Jens Zering is guilty. The recent decision from Virginia does not change this fact. On the contrary, the members of the parole board expressly state that the years-long exhaustive investigation revealed that Jens Zering's claims of innocence are without merit. Instead, the decision to release Züring and Haysom was made based on their youth at the time of the offenses, institutional adjustment, and their length of incarceration.
0: Hamel's article is the first one published in a major German daily newspaper that offers a complete picture of Züring's case and the way he presents himself to the public, while at the same time critiquing the German media. For Züring, the article is a slap in the face because it challenges key details of his version of events. In his 2021 book, Rückkehr ins Leben, which translates to Return to Life, Züring describes how suddenly he is confronted with a narrative that differs from his own.
5: Without a doubt, Jens Züring is guilty. This claim was made in an op-ed in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung published on November 25th, 2019, the day on which my release on parole was announced. Every German journalist who entered my name into a search engine at that time would inevitably land on this sentence. Thus, an extremely one-sided article set the tone for the reporting that would follow in the
0: coming weeks. Zuring and his circle of friends refuse to let Hamel's accusation stand. The supporters do their best to discredit Hamel. They write a letter to the editor attacking both Hamel as a person and the content
6: of his article. On the one hand, we are surprised because none of the countless individuals who were party to the proceedings and whom we have spoken to over the past few days have ever even heard of this man, let alone were contacted by him to offer a statement on the matter. No one, neither the attorneys or former detectives who were involved in the Haysom case, nor any other experts on the subject, knows this man, who calls himself a lawyer and a blogger. (laughs) What makes him an expert? Can you explain it to us? On the other hand, it is shocking that Mr. Hamill's article appears to do nothing more than repeat the opinion of the state prosecutor during the 1990 trial. The letter is filled with cheap shots at Hamill. What Hamill writes in his article about the footprints can easily be refuted by spending three minutes reviewing the files. Here we have a lawyer slash blogger whom no one involved with the case has ever even heard of who is refuting all of the experts who have provided their scientific contributions to the DNA analysis, the footprints, and other documents related to the case. The fact that he truly has no idea what he is talking about is made clear by the fact that he claimed in a tweet on Twitter to see a similarity between the footprints. Can a journalist blogger assess footprints based on copies of photos that are more than 30 years old more accurately than the experts who evaluated this evidence at the scene of the crime. The former sheriff of Albemarle County, Chip Harding, serves as a key
0: player in the campaign to discredit Hamill. In cooperation with the Circle of Friends, he writes a letter to the editor of the newspaper, which is then published.
5: My name is J.E. Chip Harding. I am the acting sheriff of Albemarle County, Virginia. This letter is in response to the highly misleading article written by Andrew Hamel, which was recently published in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. In his article, Hamel either leaves out key facts or distorts them so that the reader could arrive at a false conclusion.
0: What follows is a long list of facts that Harding claims Hamel misrepresents, nothing more than a reiteration of the arguments that Zuring has used to support his claims of innocence. In the meantime, Zuring is waiting to be released to Germany. He arrives in Frankfurt on December 17, 2019. From there, he travels to Hamburg. Like many other German media outlets, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung reports on this event the next day. However, they also include a statement from Hemmel in their article. In this statement, Hemmel mentions Wright's report for the first time. Initially, Hamel and Wright are put in touch with one another by the operator of the website zuringguiltiestcharge.com. This website takes a detailed look at the case and serves as a central link for the limited number of Zuring critics.
4: I was uh, convinced that there was lots of very good and interesting and new stuff in it. And uh, that's finally how I got in touch with the report.
0: One month later, on January twenty-second, 2020, Hamel publishes another long article about the Züring case in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. In it, he responds to the letters to the editor and offers a final analysis of the case, this time citing Wright's report in detail. The full report is now available online. At this time, Andrew Hamel is also in contact with some journalists who are researching Züring's case. He also sends them Wright's report. And they respond with skepticism.
4: They're saying, How do we know this man even exists? You know, we can't find him online. And, you know, some parts of the report seem to be unformatted unusually. You know, could this report be a fake? Who wrote it? Have you actually personally met in person the man who wrote this report?
1: Okay, so what happened really quickly after that was that uh, Jens Dering sent an email to the team saying, I skimmed the report. It's not worth reading, contains no new information. And by the way, we don't even know if it's real, could be a fake. So, yeah, he is a manipulator. You know, whenever the facts don't go his way, then uh, he manipulates people by shifting the focus away from those facts. And instead, he fully concentrates on discrediting the person who brought the facts to light. (laughs) And I played a very proactive role in trying to discredit uh, the Terry Wright report.
0: Zuring and his team pull out all the stops to try and find mistakes in the report and to learn more about the author. They do everything they can to challenge his credibility.
1: I went through the report with a fine tooth comb. It was only available in English at the time, and so I noticed discrepancies... In the way that certain words were written some of them were written in British English others in American English and so I ended up comparing large sections of the text and I created quite a lengthy analysis about why that report had to be a fake and you know why a metropolitan police officer would never write like that for example the DNA evidence or what we referred to as the DNA evidence was criticized in the report and I thought A Metropolitan Police Officer would never criticize DNA. That's not his expertise. And then the report only had a signature. There was no contact information. And I thought a Metropolitan Police Officer would never submit a report without contact information. And so I was fully on board with trying to discredit it. And um, others in the team, you know, were on board as well. And the more you talk about it, the more you think about it, the more convinced you become that it's all a big fake.
0: On the one hand, Zuring claims that the report is unimportant and not worth the effort as he writes to his supporters in an email, according to Annabelle. On the other hand, he seems utterly obsessed with discrediting both the report itself and its author. Is he afraid that Wright's thorough dissection of his claims of innocence could spell trouble for him? Züring not only questions the relevance of Wright's report, but also whether or not it was even written by Terry Wright. Today, Annabelle claims that this is one of Züring's strategies. He intentionally sows doubt because he knows that the facts are against him.
1: And when Jens knows that someone is going to potentially cause him trouble, what he does is he creates sort of like a media pack that's being distributed to journalists as well. And my, dare I say, analysis of Terry's report was part of this. It was sent to the Markus Lanz team. It was sent to the Spiegel journalists. It was sent to the small town uh, big crime journalists. So that's what he does. He creates media packs with all the information, the select pieces of information that he has approved.
0: Annabelle actively helps Zuring with his public relations. But over time, she starts to question whether or not she's doing the right thing. After 33 years, Zuring is released from prison. Now he can play an even more active role in telling his story. That of an innocent man who was trapped behind bars for decades and can finally triumph over his allegedly false conviction. His latest book, Return to Life, is published in September 2021. In it, he settles the score with his critics Andrew Hamill and Terry Wright, and with Annabelle as well.
1: What he did is he sent me emails with uh, screenshots of hateful posts that people had put on social media. And then uh, the situation escalated. He got his attorney to uh, contact me on the phone, on my landline, on my cell phone, on my email addresses.
0: The Züring System, episode six of eight, a struggle for freedom at all costs. Our narrator is Karen Cifarelli. You also heard the voice talents of Sungor Bentork, Michelle Glick, and Seamus Sargent. This has been a production of Argonne Lab and CCC Cinema and Television 2022.